talk about the nerdy stuff we watched with Raymond and Nathan. Welcome to the nerdy stuff we watched. The podcast within a podcast. I am Raymond, and with me is my friend Nathan. Hello, all you lovely people. And today, we are going to be talking about one of our favorite cartoons, even though it only has oh boy. one season. Yeah, so so we're going to be talking about Epithet Erased. It's a show with a huge cult following, but at the same time, nobody has ever seen it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like it's not very mainstream. It, it's it has like a specific audience, and that specific audience is like scatter around the globe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so Nathan is gonna be, uh, we're both of us. We're gonna be presenting uh, the plots of the show and the book, and we're gonna essentially give a bit of a. Um, review and a bit of a like thoughts in our minds like what do we like about it and all that stuff we're just gonna speak from the heart and and try to pick this well, why do we like this thing well, uh, that we uh, have watched uh, more than once mm-hmm. um, so, so spoiler alerts for you who have not uh, watched the show, listened to the audiobook, or read the book, uh, read the second book, at, at least. Uh, or, sorry, the first book that is the continuation of the animated series. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, like, we're gonna start with Nathan. Uh, Nathan, what do you got for us today? Cool, cool. So I'll be talking about a brief... I'll- I'll try to keep it brief, but as usual, I kind of overword things a lot, so bear with me. But I'm going to be talking about uh, the original animated series, which is the first season, and then Ray will be talking about the book, which I guess canonically is more like a second season. But yes, we'll start with season one. <clears throat> Just let me get back to my notes. In the world of Epithet Erased, a fifth of the population is born with a special power called Epithets. Each inscribed person has a word inscribed on their souls that grants them a m- fantastical abilities related to that word. For instance, a person with the epithet beach might have control over sand, or other amazing abilities related to that theme. With all the cool possibilities an epithet can grant, it seems like anyone lucky enough to have one would feel pretty darn good about themselves. Well, anyone except for Molly. Part 1 of Epithet Erase revolves around Molly Blind Death, a sweet, empathetic 12-year-old girl with very low self-esteem. Overburdened with responsibilities, such as single-handedly running her family's toy store, Molly is often exhausted and overstimulated. Fortunately, her epithet can help her quiet things down whenever she's stressed, because her epithet is literally dumb, which allows her to dumb things down, such as sound. The story is set in her hometown of Sweet Jazz City, and it begins during Molly's class field trip to the Sweet Jazz Museum. Due to some unfortunate happenstance, and some parental neglect, Molly winds up getting locked in the museum alone after it closes. She's not alone for long, however, as a band of flamboyant thieves brazenly breaks into the museum. They are the Bonsai Blasters, led by self-proclaimed supervillain extraordinaire Giovanni Potage, and their goal is to loot the museum of all its valuables. 
If things weren't bad enough, it turns out that the bonsai blasters aren't the only thieves skulking around the museum that night. Indus and Mera are a mysterious duo, duo that were working undercover as museum employees, and they're after the most valuable prize the museum has to offer, the Arsene Amulet, an ancient magical artifact that can steal a person's epithet. Chaos ensues as the multiple parties inevitably clash with each other, but the biggest surprise comes from Molly unexpectedly bonding with Giovanni of all people. Despite his aspirations to be the world's greatest supervillain, he actually makes for a wholesome mentor and older brother figure to Molly, recruiting her as Bear Trap, his number one minion, and boosting her self-esteem in the process. With the help of another new friend and ally, Dr. Sylvester Ashling, the duo work together to stop Mira and Indus from claiming the amulet for their nefarious purposes. The arc ends with Indus and Mira being take away, taken away by the police, while the Bonsai Blasters make a grand escape with the amulet. It was a whirlwind adventure for Molly, but she came out all the stronger at the end of it, having gained some reliable, if a bit quirky, new friends, and discovered a newfound confidence in herself. <clears throat> now, for part two. Part two of the series, of the season one, is a shorter arc, featuring an inscribed member of the sweet-ass police, Percival King. As straight-laced and by the book as they come, Percival spearheads the investigation to find and reclaim the stolen arson amulet. Her investigation takes her to Redwood Run, a spicy cesspool hidden deep in the woods that's crawling with bonsai blasters and other ne'er-do-wells. She's hardly phased, though, as her quick wits and her epithet, parapet, allows her to single-handedly dispatch the various hoodlums she encounters. Just like Molly, Percival winds up finding an unexpected ally. Surprisingly relieved to encounter a cop, Ramsey Murdoch, an underworld appraiser and a con artist, offers a mutually beneficial arrangement, while hiding his true identity, of course. Making use of his criminal mind and wits, Ramsey promises to help Percy find the crook who stole the amulet so long as she puts him in protective custody along the way. Despite their opposing personalities, or maybe because of them, the two make for a surprisingly effective pair. It's quickly revealed why Ramsey is in need of protection, as Zora Salazar makes herself known. Not only is this cowboy-themed villain the number one most wanted criminal, but she's also the best bounty hunter around, currently gunning for the bounty on Ramsey's head. If that wasn't bad enough, she's also a high-ranking member of Bliss Ocean, a terrorist group comprised of non-inscribed people, aka Mundies, and is tasked with claiming the amulet on their behalf. Zor is arguably one of the most powerful epithet muses seen so far, but Percy and Ramsey's ma ma managed to battle her to a standstill, albeit barely. And, thanks to a little trickery from Ramsey, they managed to get the arsene, arsene amulet from her as well. The arc ends with Percy's police backup arriving and arresting most of the criminals at Redwood One Run, including Ramsey. However, since she's grateful for his help, Percy success a new deal for him. He uses his underhanded talents on the side of the law in exchange for more comfortable accommodations in jail. Ramsey gladly agrees, but though the day is won for now, the threat of Bliss Ocean still lingers in the background. And that's the animated series. We also get a, a bit, I think at the end of the season, we get a, a glimpse at uh, Bliss Ocean, kind of like as a, like a post-credit scene thing. Yes, they're still linking around in the background. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting thing is that the company seem or the, the, at least it seems to be run by a company, right? It seems to still hire people with epithets, though? Like the... Uh, at least the Blizzard Ocean organization has epithet users in their core yeah. group. Like Zora. Uh, like Zora and some others. Like the, 
electric girl who's still a mystery. Mm -hmm. uh, but there seems to be art of her everywhere and cosplay and every like people fell in love with the character. Uh, mm. It's a fun design. It is a fun design. Um, I've I've never understood that like fall in love with a character that always been on screen for like a couple of seconds without any dialogue. That's so <laughs> weird to me. But you know, everybody has their own taste, I guess. Uh, but let, let let's yep. start with the uh, the sequel to the show, Priest Person of Plastic, that came out uh, last year uh, on December 9th, uh, 2022. I am getting some of my facts from TV Tropes. Everything else comes from my head uh, because I just re-listened to, uh, to the book. But essentially, Prison of Plastic was a effort to keep the show alive because the creator just like ran out of money to make any more show um and he was getting backed by a like streaming service that's dead now r.i.p verb uh, uh verb exactly uh so he made a kickstarter and was like hey if you guys want to see this continue as a book series, <coughs> uh, he was he, he even uh, in one of the goals was to animate, I believe, episode uh, at, at least make an episode one from the book, and then do like I think another goal was do two more episodes or something like that. Uh, but the goal never got there; like it didn't get to the episodes which it's sad but mm. understandable and also like the creator has gone to say a lot of times that he loves the world and he wants to complete the world but he does not want to do another animated uh season because it was a very complex and a lot of work because the the show, if you watch it, has a very unique style to the point where a lot of people that I've seen on the internet reacting to it think they always say, wow, this is amazing. I really hope that the creator gets to make an actual animated series. <laughs> <laughs> and they're watching the animated series. <laughs> like, uh, they just don't understand that that's just the style of the show. Like, th there were people that animated the show. Like, the show is animated. It's just animated in a very particular way. Like, mm -hmm. a, like a graphic novel combined with a D&D &D session. That's how it's animated, essentially, <clears throat> and people kind of don't have a lot of context for that in the in the mainstream. So a lot of people I see reacting to it are like most of the people don't understand that they are actually watching the show, 
and they always like some of them go like yeah like this is this is this would be an amazing animated series and it's like yeah you're you're watching the animated series my man uh but to give a little context for people that to give a little context for people that don't know, just to clarify, what the, like what the whole disconnect's happening over, where it's like when people expect an animated series, they're expecting something like you see on TV, where it's like okay, a full fluid animation, like all these keyframes, all these in between frames, like ev- like every like little bit of motion. And Epithet of Race does have that in its own way, but the thing is, for partly to be budget friendly, a lot of it is still images and still PNGs of characters with different potions and poses and uh, expressions, but those poses and expressions get moved around flipped around squash stretch and like bumped up and down like it's it's like a more expressive take on like say a Hanna-Barbera cartoon but like taken to like next level but like it's still not quite the same thing as like people might typically expect from animation but there yes like Ray's saying there is a lot of animation in it it's just it's meant to be more budget friendly but even with all that it's still very expensive and a very intensive process yes and it's like like you said like it's a a stylized show with a, and it's budget friendly a budget friendly stylized show essentially it's like mm-hmm. the the reason why they did it that way was because of the budget but also it it is uh also like a, a style decision cuz you know mm-hmm. they they could have easily uh, like, not easily, but, like, they could have tried to make it, like, um, more anime, like, other YouTube series, like, that have come out nowadays, like, that are, like, extremely animated and fluid, right? But it wouldn't be the same. I don't think it would be the same. Like, I don't, I think there's a charm to the way the show is animated to me that makes it unique because in my head when i see the show like i don't uh like it it is fluid to me (laughs) it's just like like it's a good example of less is more yeah like you get a lot from the voice acting the sound effects the music Mm -hmm. is incredible Mm -hmm. so like you get a lot of that build up so for this book they wanted to essentially bring you the book, but also bring back the voice actors and bring back the sound effects, bring back the music because the music is incredible. It, it really hits you in the feels. It really hits like it makes you. It's all goofy and stuff like that. But then when it gets serious, like it really hits you in the feels. Uh, it's really well made. Um, so this. So they they were able to make this uh, book and this audio book with all the voice actors back, the sound effects and the music, thanks to the backers, thanks to the Kickstarter. uh, People immediately just started pouring their money onto this project because, again, there's a bunch of people that really love the show. Um, they're hidden in the shadows. Like, Nathan is the first person I've ever met in, like, the years of me liking Apathetic Race. Nathan is the first person I've met, uh, who actually watched the show. 
Same with me with Ray. Like, I've shown the show to other friends, but I've never actually met a person online or in person that happened to, like, already know the show ahead of time. So we both had, yeah. like, a, what is this moment? This has never happened before. Exactly. It was such a shock. Uh, so, without further ado, let me just get into the book before I just keep rambling. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Epithet Erased... Uh, Personal Plastic is a direct continuation of the Apathetic Race animated series created by Bren Blember. Blender Blember. Brendan Blabber. Brendan Blabber, thank you. Who is known more by the internet as Jello Apocalypse. That's why I'm terrible at pronouncing his name because. I just call him yellow most of the time. <laughs> and like um, in fairness that rain the name doesn't even sound real to me. No disrespect to Blendon. It's just it's just such a fun name that's like this sounds like a Dr. Seuss character. I love it. Do, why do you think all the names in the show are like that same way? I think he's just following his name. <laughs> like to be to be honest, like look at this. Molly Blindef, Giovanni Potage. <laughs> Like, it's just, the, the, I think he's just following how goofy his name is. It's great. Love it. Um, yeah, he has a, he has a unique name. But, essentially, this book starts right where the first arc of season one left off, because... Actually, we do get, like, a post credit scene in the animated series, if I'm not mistaken, of them in the beach, right? Yes, yes, where they meet um, Rick Shades. Rick Shades, yeah. So, so in the show, like, this, uh, they're, they're, there's a post credit scene. By the way, this show is four years old. Uh, wow. The, the, the animated series, uh, which is... That's crazy, because it's not as old as I thought. But <clears throat> it's um, it feels older because um, this like came out right before the pandemic, didn't it? And like time lost all meaning ever since the pandemic. So I feel like I, that's why it feels older. I know, right? I thought it came out a little bit back, a little bit more back before. Yeah, that's weird. Wow. Um. Okay. Well. <laughs> this show's like four years old, but the the book just literally just came out last year. Uh, so we've been waiting for three years, three years for a continuation to the post credit scene, and finally we we start the book with um, meeting our protagonist of this of this new story. Which is uh, uh, Finica, Trixie, and Molly. Molly is looking for the girls at the beach. Um, and she's like, where are they? They're supposed to be here. She's like a, a ball of anxiety as she can't find her friends. Uh, because uh, Finica is getting mugged in a alleyway. Uh, and the <laughs> the funniest thing is just like this person just literally going like uh, 
like something give me your bag and she's like no you can't take my bag because she has homework for Molly in her bag but the the mugger's like no I want your money and she's like that's all you wanted here's uh, like five thousand dollars <laughs> which it, it builds up how silly this world is immediately so Finika mm-hmm. is just like the richest person in the world canonically established mm-hmm. in the show apparently uh her family is at least trixie shows up to defend finica from this um criminal finica belongs to a crime family um most of the most of her cousins and brothers and sisters have been to jail apparently <laughs> uh and uh, they taught Trixie how to deal with um, people in the streets. So she has a lot of street smarts. And mm-hmm. uh, Trixie's a self-proclaimed uh, witch, um, but not really. And Finica is a self-proclaimed, um, self-proclaimed uh, magical girl. Mm-hmm. But we're not sure about th- if that's true or not. It <laughs> seems like just a kid thing. But we're talking about a world where there's literal magic, so who knows? <laughs> um, and eventually the three girls meet up. They go to the beach. We learn that Trixie and Finica are always trying to help Molly have a normal childhood uh, while Molly is worrying about going home, doing taxes, and taking care of the store that their father quote-unquote runs. Um, (laughs) And it's a toy store, by the way. And essentially they're doing like a fun little game in the beach and after that fun little game they find a dead body but not really because it's Rick (laughs) Shades one of my favorite characters from this book Mm -hmm. Um, uh, spoiler alert his real name is Odie and he's played by uh, Ray Chase Ray Chase Uh, an excellent performance by Ray it's amazing. It's incredible. Uh, Molly is played by Danny Chambers, by the way. Um, Trixie is played by Sir Ryan. Uh, Save Ryan. Uh, and... Lord, uh, and Finica is played by... Uh, Bree April. Uh, if I pronounce any of these names wrong, I'm sorry. I'm not American. I'm not like the English is not my first language. <laughs> um, so a b- really great performance from all these people. They're all, almost all of them are like from like animes. They they all have voiced animes like as dub mm-hmm. like dub anime and such. Uh, I, I think some of them have done cartoons, but, uh, yeah. Anyways, continuing the story, 
uh, they find his non-dead body. It's a ocean race, which is we've seen half half-blooded ocean people like Giovanni Potage, who has like pink hair. That means that he's like his bloodline comes from an ocean race, but he's not really ocean race. And Trixie as well has pink hair. Like, bright fuchsia hair, so she's also, like, her bloodline is from Ocean Country. But Rick Shades is literally from Ocean Country. We have never seen someone literally come from there because Ocean Country, according to the lore, is just a sealed-up place under the ocean. Uh, it's like a sealed-up, like, society under the ocean. And Rick Shades has... Seemingly escaped, he is a self-proclaimed wizard, and he immediately, and a bit creepily, starts asking everyone for him to become their friend, uh, <laughs> extending their hand, and as Giovanni Potage described, clearly, clear, uh, clearly some kind of uh, pact with the devil. <laughs> 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 trying to make some pact with the devil, which is Hey, further... even the devil wants friends. Yeah, it, 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 it's further from the truth because Rick Shades, it's just a sweet guy in his 20s that was not able to grow up at all because he, it, like, with all the remarks that he makes throughout the... Uh, throughout the book, it seems like he comes from uh, uh, Ocean Country is not a good place. Uh, yeah. He's been through a lot of trauma, and he, the only thing, he does not know how to make friends, so he's very socially awkward. And that is why uh, he seems really creepy. But um, As Molly puts it, he just comes on strong. He comes out strong, yes. So, we move on from that. Because uh, uh, Rick Shades, it's dying because he hasn't had any food or anything. So, the girls take him to the toy store uh, to to maybe get him some food. Uh, basically, Molly's home is within the toy store. By the way, just... Uh, that's, that's why they're taking him to the toy store. And... Uh, they're, they, the girls are also kind of on their way to a class that they have with, uh, Naven. Uh, and Naven is, is played by Jello himself. Um, uh, <coughs> Naven shows up. He is a very rich person. Um, what, what's his, I don't remember the name of the company. Oh, uh, I forget the name of the company, too. Yeah, so it's like a well-known company in the world of Epithet Race, uh, or at least in uh, the, 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 the um, Jazz, uh, Sweet Jazz City. Um, STEM, that's the name of the company. What? what? STEM, that's what? the name of it, the company. STEM? STEM? STEM, S-T-E-M. Okay. And... Essentially, he is this, I think, like, a rich... He's a very rich person, but not compared to uh, Finica's family. Um, 
as she puts it, she can buy him five times over. Uh, <laughs> or more, it was like a more ridiculous number than that, but I don't remember. Um, <laughs> it was a strange scene in the book. I don't understand it, but uh, Neve, uh, Naven, sorry, uh, comes into the picture and uh, he meets the girls to uh, give her, give him a class of communication because all these girls struggle with communication, and essentially this he's trying to give him a, a like lessons in communication, and essentially the class gets interrupted because of Rick Shay's uh Rick Shay get, gets introduced to Naven uh and then uh then we are introduced to uh the antagonist of this book uh which is uh Lorelai or Lori uh as she gets pissed off because there, people are just making a lot of noise, and she was in one of her dream bubbles. Loreline, it has the ability, or the ep- her epithet is literally to augment. Uh, so she can augment rea- like reality, with fictional things. Uh, those fictional things can feel as real as as anything you have felt. But whenever she's not focusing on it, it ceases, ceases to exist. Um, it, it is the the power is in complete contrast with Molly's that is dumb, and her her epithet is dumb, which makes her able to dumb down anything, uh, anything like she's able to dumb down a person. She's able to dumb down. A attack. She's able to dumb down a uh, Lori's power, which are augment. So she's able to dumb them down until they're non-existence. Whatever she pulls into reality gets erased. Uh, another fun little callback to the to the name of the show. But um, uh, essentially, she comes out and she's all pissed off because. Uh, Lori is a very reclusive person or has become in the past couple of years and she only spends her times within her bubble and does not want to come out of them uh, very mm-hmm. uh, a metaphor that kind of just went over my head the first time I was reading it but now that I was I reheard it I was like oh wow she's in her own bubble um she doesn't want to come out. She doesn't want to socialize. She wants to live in this fantasy world constantly because she wants to escape uh, from reality and punish herself. We will get into why later. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alerts, by the way. Like, really. Uh, so, as that hasn't in- already been made clear. Spoilers upon spoilers, guys. Yes. So, out of nowhere, the best character... Of, of all shows up uh Vincent Murder uh which <laughs> is actually Giovanni Potage uh once again Giovanni the best boy the best guy <laughs> the best of the best uh I love him so much uh Giovanni Potage is played by Kyle 
Ignet in Ignesi? Something like that. His name is Kyle. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. Uh, amazing work. He always makes me laugh. And like, Giovanni comes in declaring his new name as Vincent Murder. He is putting on his own villain team because he got kicked out of his previous villain villain uh, organization because they were too mean. <laughs> uh, so he decided to quit from the villain organization because they were too mean. And he wanted to create his own organization where people treated each other kindly and with respect to do evil. <laughs> <laughs> not mean evil. Yes, not mean evil, but kind evil. <laughs> Keevil. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, essentially, Vincent uh, Murder joins in the fray, and immediately, like, declaring his evil stance, he immediately gets worried about the person who is clearly dying, and it's like, what's going on with this person? Uh... You know, worried about them, and immediately gives them soup to eat because that's who Giovanni is—the uh, nicest villain you'll ever meet. Um, Whose epithet, by the way, I don't know if we mentioned, is soup. Yes, his epithet is soup, which, don't get it twisted, is very dangerous. <laughs> uh, it burns. No, but like uh, lava or acid like or love Ex acid, exactly. And uh, he's very creative. Giovanni's really creative, so he can use his soup in many different ways. One of the ways he can do that is by restoring mana or restoring uh, health to a person. So uh, essentially, the soup restores some of the health back onto Rick Shades. Uh, who's able to kind of wake up and immediately Lori is enamored and falls in love with Giovanni Potash because who wouldn't? Uh, <laughs> who wouldn't? Uh, <laughs> He's a whole package. He truly is creative, nice. And a bad boy. <laughs> he's he's the the, the the basically the Tumblr girl dream. <laughs> Who the Onesler? Never heard of him. It's all about Giovanni now. Correcto. Um so Lori um creates a bigger bubble, um to kidnap uh, Naven and take um, take Giovanni with her because she fell, fell in love with him and uh, Giovanni is recruiting minions like we said like I said he's recruiting new minions for his new uh, villain organization so he's like telling people hey do you want to be a medium and then um, uh, Lori immediately says, "I want to be. I want to be with you. I like. I, I mean, I want to be a minion. 
<laughs> and uh, she's like, what do I have to do? Like, I'm, I don't know how to do this. I'm usually the hero. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> story. Uh, so I don't know how to be a villain. Uh, and, and she's very, like, dark about it as well. And, uh, and then she, like, goes into the, um, makes a bubble. And he's like, what's more evil than kidnapping someone and asking them for ransom? Because they're rich. So she kidnaps uh, Naven to the sadness of uh, Finica because she's like, what the heck, I'm richer. Uh, <laughs> very, a, a very big insult to her, apparently. Um, and a, a bubble is expanded, so now everybody's trapped inside the dream world. Uh, and in the dream world, they get cursed by Lori. They turned into little versions of themselves. Um, Molly's the only one that can turn it back because of her epithet. But she has to focus on her physical form. They go in a, in a, in a beautiful journey of friendship where they uh, come together and they have a lot of goofs and, and a lot of... Uh, bonding time and uh after a couple learning of chapters learning a bit more about themselves along the way exactly after a couple of chapters of that uh we get to finally get to um Lori as the girls like break into uh where she is and Essentially, Loreline is being tested by Giovanni. Uh, Giovanni told her to make some cookies <coughs> without using any magic. Uh, and essentially, it's really hard for her because she, like, everything she does is with her epithet. Uh, and she doesn't, she's not a good cook. So, but. Giovanni wants her to try, and Giovanni takes uh, Naven as his co-judge for the cookie competition. Uh, Giovanni tries to treat uh, hostages as nice as possible. Uh, And essentially, Giovanni um, gets, like, turned into a statue because... Uh, he can, like, essentially he gets turned into ice statue to, fr- like, freeze down the cookies. Or, like, the dough, the cookie dough. Uh, and essentially, like, uh, Molly confronts, Molly gets to Lori, confronts her, and, uh, Lori, they have, like, an argument uh, Lori gets angry and shoots like a fireball or something like that, like a death spell to Molly. But it's not supposed to be like real. Like it's at least not to Molly. Like it's supposed to be like fake. But uh, a lot of Lori's power works with it without her like wanting to. It works with intent. And 
I- emotions, like her emotions get the better part of her power. Like she's not in complete control of her power, as we see like in this scene, as she shoots like this death spell that's not supposed to do anything to Molly because Molly has the uh her the opposite to her quirk, and she knows that. Or epithet, sorry. <laughs> epithet. So and she knows that. Um but Rick Shades does not know that, and he gets in the way and he gets blasted with it and starts uh and starts to die. Uh legitimately die. Um and uh, uh, Lori starts to freak out. She starts getting a panic attack. And Molly is con- just trying to get it out of it, telling her to do something, to to save, uh, to save him. And she like reverses the spell, uh, and is able to save him, but she like poops him out, poops him out of the bubble because she's ashamed of what she did. Uh, Molly then kind of. Uh, essentially, Molly was trying to have like a communication with her sister, but after what happened, Lori starts telling her to apologize uh, for like lying to her because she essentially feels betrayed, and uh, she's Molly like essentially just like for the first time kind of just like says no, she's not gonna apologize, and Lori gets angry. And tosses her into like a like a pit, and uh, Lori is elevated and continues to make cookies. And in that moment, like um, we have like a like a scene of Molly just realizing, like to herself, uh, the the bleakness of the world. <laughs> uh. And then she gets, like, taken out of the bubble, uh, and she talks to Rick Shades. We have a, a beautiful scene with them. They, they have, like, a, a little bonding time. We learn a lot about Rick Shades' past and where does he come from and all that. Uh, and... We learn that Rick Shades believes that he has no real friends, that his friends stopping his friends when he left the ocean country. Uh, but Molly tells, uh, like, realizes that probably his his epithet has a a limit, essentially. Like, uh, at some point, like it has like range, essentially, and at some point, like the range is cut off and his powers stop working uh but rick chase since his power is completely based around friendship that he has to have friends for him to use his powers uh he thought that his friends have given up on him uh but no he was just too far away and molly makes him realize that his friends probably still love him and it just makes me cry every single time i hear all that and it's beautiful uh, it's like, you know, because I have a lot, a long distant relationship with a lot of my friends and sometimes there's not a lot of communication, but I know they still love me and I love them. Uh, so, it, it, like, they go back in, Rick and, uh, and Molly, 
<laughs> and uh, Rick, since he thinks that Trixie is a real, like makes real potions, uh, is able to make potions. So like Rick is able to re replicate the powers of anyone he comes fr becomes friends with, even if those powers are not real. Like, even if a person tells him, Oh yeah, I have the power of flight. Rick, if Rick believes that's true, he can fly. <laughs> Which is a very OP power. A very over... Uh, very overpowered because anyone can just lie to him and he can have that power. That's insane. Uh, as long as he's friends... Yeah, yeah, as long as he's friends with that person that he believes, it's insane. Uh, so they go back in. They use the powers of uh, potions to go back to Trix, uh, to, uh, to essentially save Trixie and Finica that are still in the, 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 the hut, the house of the, the witch Lori, because Lori is always playing, uh, heroes, but now she's a, uh, what she calls it a, a different thing before and then she becomes a witch what was she before uh, a herodin yes a herodin a herodin but then she becomes a witch uh because she's like oh you want me to be evil then i'll be evil and then she mm -hmm. becomes a witch um so essentially molly and rick go on and are able to get back to uh, Lori, and at this time, Giovanni is defrozen and judges the cookies, and he essentially, <coughs> uh, essentially like tells her that she lost, like she like, and it wasn't because of the cookies; it was because she didn't show the number one the number one uh, what was the word the number one quality like, of a minion there we go the number one quality of a minion which is that you're always willing to lose uh, and you're o you're always ready to lose and you're and you're okay with that but you don't give up you keep going mm -hmm. um, so she fails at that because she cheated uh, and she didn't want to lose. She wanted to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and... She failed at failing. Exactly. And she gets angry. She says that that makes no sense. And she essentially just, like, becomes a big boss. Just creates, like, uh, Monster World. Because, like, essentially what happens is that, uh, Giovanni asks Molly what does she think uh what what's the rating on 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 the essentially if she can become a minion because you can get like what what, what was the thing you can get like recommendations there we go you mm -hmm. get recommendations from people and Molly and the other kids essentially just tell her tell Giovanni that she's been mean and as we know, Giovanni does not like mean. 
Uh, and so Giovanni is sad and tells her, "Hey, uh, I'm sorry, but I can't. You can't be a medium. You can't join me because you've been mean to uh, Molly and her friends." Uh, and then she gets angry. She's like, "Okay, if I'm the villain, I'll become a villain." And she like everything becomes dark and all that stuff and she grows like a huge monster and then our protagonists fight the monster and they're, they're start playing and having fun together and Lori starts having fun like she actually like has fun with the rest of them and she say tells says to herself that if she, if this is the role that she has to play to see her sister happy because for the first time she sees her sister happy again in like two years that she, she's they've been suffering because they lost their mother uh, in a fire um, <clears throat> and essentially Loreline blames herself for it we don't know why yet but we kind of have like a little bit of a of a sneaking suspicion of why she blames herself and mm-hmm. uh, because we kind of saw it with Rick what she did and she said uh, when she was uh, when she almost killed Rick she said not again uh, so we kind of have a sneaking suspicion that she believes that she was the cause of her mother's death uh, to that uh, essentially she's She's blaming herself, and she believes, essentially, uh, I am the bad guy. I am evil. I am bad. I'm not good. So, if I am, if I have to do this to make my sister happy, then I will. Uh, and essentially, like, Giovanni comes in, and it's like, hey, like, you're having fun. And she's like, yeah, I am having fun. See, this that's what it that's what I told you. Like being a villain is fun. Uh, like you get the cool lines. You get to <laughs> you get to like have fun and you know villains, you know they can work together, they can work against each other, and it's all good and dandy. Um and uh they begin to play fight, but Giovanni hits her uh, accidentally. Uh, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, and essentially, at some point, Molly gets actually injured in the fight. Uh, and she starts bleeding, which sends Lori in a spiral. Molly's fine. Nothing happened to her. It was just like a little s- scratch. But it sends Molly, uh, Lori in a spiral, causing her to drop everything down the... the the monster's still like like going on, but it's like they're able to defeat it. Giovanni, Finica, Rickshades, Molly are like in an epic fight scene with the monster, and they freaking just like blast it out of existence with bear paws <laughs> and and such. It, it's the it's really cool. Uh, and then uh, we cut back to Lori. Uh, who like crumbles her kingdom or whatever, and she's uh, essentially like beating herself up about it. But uh, she remembers that in the tower, Naven was in the tower, so she starts freaking out. 
uh, that she heard him. So she like begins to look for him, look for him, look for him. Uh, and when he opens up a door, uh, he she like he she finds him like in a, behind a door that has a rabbit hoodie, and and essentially the the significance of this is that Molly has a bear hoodie uh, that was made by her mother, and. Essentially, we see here that that Lori has a a rabbit hoodie made by her mother, but she doesn't want to put it on because she thinks she doesn't deserve it. Uh, and like Naven got inside this closet on, pur- on purpose because he wanted her to face it, um, and he begins to like relate to her that I know that you think you killed her and she asks him well did I did I do it like please tell me the answer um and he tells her that he doesn't know and we kind of have like a bit of a flashback of her like what actually happened you know like we see that her she was sleeping and there was a essentially a fire started and she got woken up by Molly and Molly and her and uh, her their dad were able to survive the fire <coughs> and there was no the fire fighters could not find any like source of the fire uh but there was like essentially like the fire started in their room like in uh in Molly's and uh and Lori's room and since Molly had like her power we're essentially believing that what happened there was that Molly was able to stop the flame, the the fake flames, and save her and her sister. Uh, but it was too late for their mother. Uh, but we are not sure because uh, it's not clear, mm-hmm. and the book doesn't make it clear enough. It, it's just a, it's just an assumption that mm-hmm. might as well be real. Because the character believes it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have that breakdown. <clears throat> the Molly and her friends win the battle. The bubble gets destroyed. Uh, Loreline flies off to her room. Um, and Molly gets kidnapped by Giovanni Batage. Uh... <laughs> In an earlier scene, uh, Giovanni told uh, Molly's dad that he was gonna take away the most important thing in his store that night. And he did. He took Molly. Um, and he takes Molly away and brings her to a safe home. It's Crusher's home, one of his minions, 
Uh, she sleeps in a beautiful, like, nice tree house. Uh, when she gets out of the little tree house, um, it, it, like, it's described that it's, like, really nice. So I'm guessing it's, like, it looks like a little house in my, in my imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds swanky. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's, like, she gets down, she goes to the house, and she's, like, I'm gonna cook some breakfast because... You know, I don't want to be a bother. Like, I, I need to do something. Um, and she goes in to the home. And uh, Giovanni and Crusher are already there. And they've made her breakfast. And it's the most wholesome thing in the world. And it just mm-hmm. makes me cry. Because Molly just starts crying. And eating while like some pancakes or waffles or whatever with raisins, and it's so cathartic because you've been with that character and you've been like essentially like a character has been uh, like in in uh, abused in, in a sense like neglected. Um, mm-hmm. and to finally see her just be a kid. Uh, Giovanni just tells her, I just want you to be a kid. Um, and he ascends from brother to dad. <laughs> because he becomes a dad. <laughs> Essentially. He's... Uh, <laughs> uh, and, He's already um, signing the adoption papers as we speak. Yeah, uh, we and that's like the beautiful ending to this book. So the reason why that was my thing was longer was because the book is like nine hours long. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm sorry that that took a long time to <laughs> to to summarize, but essentially it's nine hours. So I barely scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. Of what you can discover within the book if you read it yourself, uh, but like, essentially, let's dive in. the The second part of this is dive actually diving in and talking about the shows. <laughs> so, all right, where do we want to start, Na- Nathan? Yes. One of the things about the show is not just the comedy it's not just the the goofs and stuff like that that's all cool and all like this the show is hilarious it, mm-hmm. it makes you laugh like mm-hmm. the, the show and the book it's just so funny yep. like like it hits you like random places you're like that just killed me mm-hmm. uh like the dialogue the characters are so silly the world is so silly but one of the biggest things about this, and we've talked so much about it, you and I, is the heart of this show. Mm-hmm. The heart of the characters. How likable and how, like, sometimes how angry they make you, how happy they make you. Like, so so I, I kind of want to start talking about the characters themselves and, and, and the heart of the show and the essentially... Uh, like, who's your, like, 
let's talk about the main characters essentially. I really want to talk about them. Yeah. Like uh, for for the first se- for the first half of the season, it's Molly and mm-hmm. Giovanni. So <coughs> let's kind of first talk about them, I guess. Uh, so what do you, what do you think about Molly? <laughs> I think Molly is a wonderful character and probably like one of my favorite main characters in recent years. We're like. I've grown up watching anime, so, like, I've seen all sorts of memes about, like, kid characters you see in anime that are adorable, and fans are always like, oh, yes, this character is so adorable, we have to protect her smile, this character is so adorable, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, sure, like, I can understand that. Like, I've seen other cute kid characters in anime, it's like, I can understand why people, like, would rave about, like, how adorable this char- that character is, but, like, I've never, like, really been enamored the same way other people have been about other characters. But, like, I think Molly's the first character where I'm like, Okay, this girl is extremely precious, down to her design, down to her voice, down to her personality, and like I do want the two like protect her smile. Like everything about this character is precious and wonderful, and I just want nothing for the best from her because she is like the most adorable character I've seen. So I love her. I love her growth. I find her very relatable. So that's probably one of the, part of the reason why I attached to her so much is that I see so much of myself in her. But yeah, I think she's a great kid, great character, and seeing her story arc of like going from this self-sacrificial kid to the point where like she metaphorically always has to put herself on fire to make other people warm to learning how to be more self-confident i feel like is a again a very relatable story arc and a story arc that you don't really see too much of nowadays i wish we'd see more because i feel like that relates to a lot of people out there who struggle with anxiety and self-confidence issues uh she's a very like the the one of the things that works about her so well is that she is a walking contradiction. Just to reference mm. Steven Universe again, like always, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it all comes back to Steven. But it it all comes back to Steven Universe. Uh, it here's the thing: it she is very relatable. I think that's why she's so like she reminds you of a younger version of yourself, and you want to protect that younger version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and she's a walking contradiction because she, everything that comes out of her mouth is dark. <laughs> like everything she says in season one is the pressing to a point yep. where you're like, wow, jikes, this kid's needs therapy. Like, in fact, multiple they times. They make that just, joke. Yep. Like. Yes, people just stop talking. Like she says something, people just look at her. Even the villains or any anyone who's fighting her just goes like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, because she's like she has the cute design, she has the cute little voice, but everything that comes out of her is so depressing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, one of her line, like one of the moments, is that Giovanni is like. Uh, hey, like, I need, I need a couple, like, he gets, like, whenever he reaches 13 hits, he gets a, by the way, if you haven't noticed, this world is kind of like, a tabletop RPG, or just an RPG in general, mm-hmm. uh, if you have played video games, or if you have played a, a D&D game, essentially this world is like that. Uh, the people can see, like, little lives going out, and people talk like there's, like, like, proficiency and all this stuff in the world. Um, and essentially, like, if you've seen a lot of anime as well, that probably resonates with you. Mm-hmm. 
but uh, one of the th- one of the scenes was that uh, Giovanni was kind of like, I need a couple of hits to reach thirteen so I can attack, <clears throat> and he doesn't hit her like actually hits her. He's just like bump- bumps it's like her with bopping her with a, a little yarn ball with a yarn ball. Like she's- he's not hitting her at all. Like, but it's like, it counts as a hit because, again, this is like an RPG mm-hmm. game. Uh, so, <laughs> but her line is, oh, don't worry, I'm used to t- people taking advantage of me. <laughs> and Giovanni's just like, okay, let's raise our standards just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and so... Uh, the the chemistry that forms between Giovanni and Molly is incredible, mm-hmm. and it's surprising to me that it happens in like episode three or four. No, 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 no. No, it happens pretty three. early on or two. Like, it ha- no, it, isn't it like an episode? I, I thought it would happen in episode one. Sorry, but it happens in episode two. So it happens like way later than you think. It like happens right before their fight like, with Sylvie. Yes. It does. So it's like I think it's episode two that where it happens because right. I thought I thought that their dynamic gets introduced in episode one, but no, like it gets introduced in episode two, and yeah. you get immediately hooked with their dynamic because mm-hmm. it feels like 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 you said, um, it feels like a brother and sister, but like a, a like really caring brother uh, with his little sister. Uh, to me, it always has felt like he's her dad. And again, so it's like another contradiction because this guy is supposed to be a super villain and he winds up being the most wholesome character on this show. Actually, yeah, that's true. Another walking contradiction. Most of the characters in the show are walking contradiction, which makes them interest. Like it, it makes them really interesting mm-hmm. because uh, I guess we, we've talked about Molly a little bit uh, and we kind of know her deal. What do you think about Giovanni? And like, because we've talked a lot about yes. Giovanni, you and I. Yes. Uh, because he's the most interesting. He's my favorite character mm-hmm. in any media. Like, I just love him uh, so much because he, like, he rep. He's he's so weird. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a weird thing because it's like. He, no matter what he tells you, he is essentially, like, I think chaotic good. Um, mm. I think it is. Or or something like that. Where it's mm-hmm. like, I think the creator has said it, that he's like, he is a good person. Like, yes. pretending to be a villain. Mm-hmm. Essentially. He's, he's playing villain. Is what he is doing. Like, we've thrown around the term uh, anti-villain while discussing the character, and still really seems to fit. With it. Yes, it fits really well, the anti-villain uh, thing. But yeah, let you talk about it, because I talk too much. <laughs> I, I think he's a very... Again, like you said, he's a very fascinating character, a very fun character... So much energy, and like the um, the voice actor that does his that plays the character does an amazing job selling both his flamboyancy, his chaoticness, but also just like his genuine goodness. Where again, like I think so much of what sells this character is the fact that 
he does, like, he, despite the fact that he tries to be such a big villain, he does legitimately care about the people around him, which, again, is, like, this fascinating I irony, because you would not expect that from a supervillain, and so they handle it very, very well, and... Yeah, I think the main selling point is just his relationship with Molly because it's such a good, like, older brother relationship. And, like, that one moment I really love is, like, the moment where, like, they're surrounded by fire and it's revealed that Molly is, like, afraid, uh, deeply afraid of fire. And so, like, Molly, uh, so, like, Giovanni, like, cradles her, helps her out of the fire. And, like, he sees that she's crying. And, like, in pure big brother, radiating big brother energy, he's like, no one makes my minions cry except for me. Where it's, like, literally something an older sibling would say to protect their little sister siblings and like that was like yes. a big that was a big moment right there where i'm sure most people most of not everyone's like okay we're behind giovanni like giovanni's the greatest character we love this guy and i feel like part of the reason why people love him so much is again he's that walking contradiction that's so relatable where it's like yes at the end of the day people are deeply like yes everyone's like has potential for evil there's lots of malice out there of course but i feel like for the quote-unquote normal person no one's like explicitly outright trying to be malicious or evil it's just more like they want to do a little bit more than they normally could because you know society and all these other rules imposed on him imposed on people makes it hard for people to do what they want whereas giovanni is a representation of what is it like to live a life where you're free to do just like 30% more of what you want, not necessarily trying to harm or hurt anyone, but just trying to indulge yourself more. Like, Giovanni is basically just a flamboyant theater kid who doesn't actually hate anyone, he's just self-indulgent and a little bit petty, but just wants to have fun and enjoy himself, and so that's the appeal of the character, and that's certainly the appeal of him to Molly, who's someone who often gets tied down by self-imposed rules or rules by society or other people trying to take advantage of her. She sees Giovanni as this mental figure that's teaching her, oh, I can enjoy myself a little bit more, I can be free to enjoy myself more. Maybe that does label me as a quote-unquote villain by certain standards, but maybe those standards weren't fair to begin with. And so he makes us, again, makes us surprisingly great mentor figure despite just being a bundle of chaotic energy that's just a big goofball at the same time yeah so in real life and this is like in all honesty like sometimes we see like a lot of here's the thing like fiction only in fiction there is true good and true evil of course in reality, as Christians, you and I, we believe that mm -hmm. that does exist in our realm, in our world, mm -hmm. uh, but it exists within God as true good and the devil as true evil. Uh, we believe that those two things exist within our world, uh, true good and true evil, but we are in between. So, humanity, in fiction, can truly be good or evil. But in reality, we are either anti-heroes or anti-villains. Uh, because we do, like, if you're an anti-hero, you do a lot of selfish things, but you eventually help other people. If you're an anti-villain, you are doing bad things, but you are still, you still have something in you that wants to do good and do, do good by, by the people around you and the people you love. Mm -hmm. So essentially like, uh, and the, you know, there's then like a whole spectrum there of 
of goodness and badness. And uh, I, I, what I believe is uh, about humanity is that we are all capable of being bad, and it's easy to be bad. Mm-hmm. It's easier to just let your like essentially let evil uh win the fight and just be be mean right but it's harder to be do good things like not just be good for the sake of making people feel good like molly the problem with molly is that she lets everybody walk um on her like like everybody she just lets them walk all over her and essentially sees herself as a goody two shoes like a hero uh because the the quote in the book prison of plastic that she says right at almost right at the end is i don't want to be a hero anymore i want to be the bad guy uh and essentially, I don't like. I don't see that literally. Like these are kids. Of course, all these characters are kids. They're playing. Like uh, what they're what they're saying. The way Giovanni, for example, describes villainy is very much a like TV show, like like a Saturday thing. morning cartoon. Goes, like exactly. He's like villains are. Villains are always the ones that... Because I think... Uh, the thing is that... A Giovanni, like most of us in real life... Kind of are now relating a lot to villains... Because we see ourselves more in villains... Than what we than we see ourselves in heroes. Because the thing is that heroes... Are a moral to be. A... Like... You see heroes that stand tall and are... Like the peak of morality, like Peter Parker, Superman, uh, Clark Kent, um, and they are a one. Essentially, you're never gonna be like them, and you can try to be like them, but it's hard. It's like the same thing with Jesus. It's like Jesus is such a beacon of morality, and 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 it's like this this perfect person, and trying to be like him is hard and relating to him is kind of hard because you're like how do you good (laughs) Mm -hmm. without selfish Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know you know without thinking about yourself so uh villains are more relatable because they have flaws and they they fall and they lose all the time they lose and lose and lose, but they stand up again and try again. And that's more of our lives. Heroes always win, but that's not what happens to us in the reality. As humans, we lose all the time, but we keep going. We keep trying to succeed until we finally make it at some point in our lives. Like... And I think that's why Giovanni can relate. And he's like, we get he, the villains get the coolest lines. The villains are are the ones with the coolest costumes. Uh, 
in even when they're they they're and and he believes in the Saturday like you said the Saturday morning thing that villains are supposed to lose like he doesn't believe that the villain is is essentially gonna win he believes that he's gonna lose but losing is okay because he'll try again so it is this very bizarre worldview that like does a lot of like loop arounds but it is a kid playing around so it's like he essentially he's building his morality uh based around villains essentially that he grew up with and and a lot of villains have like very moral causes but they're again that's why we call them anti-villains because their means are not good like giovanni did what no one else was gonna do which was kidnapped the kid by kidnapping a kid you are a criminal mm-hmm. you are a villain you kidnapped someone you kidnapped a kid you took them out of their home and out of their family but he did it for the right reasons mm-hmm. like and no one else in the story and it's very pointed like it's pointed out very clearly no one else in the story like and I'm, I'm kind of mixing up like season one, uh, season one and the book because it's just such a continuation here like it's really well like uh, the, the continuity is extremely good um, and and by doing that by, by taking away the this kid right uh, nobody was able to do that nobody in the story and they say it over and over oh they called the authorities they called the uh, child services and child services came in and they saw no problem because they, they like she's not getting like physically abused or anything like that she's getting neglected like but she lives in a toy store and she's uh, fine she looks fine she's she's going to school she's getting good grades relatively uh, like she like her sister can make food come out of nowhere so like they're not running out of food like but what they don't tell tell the, the guy is that like the food is not real like mm-hmm. it, when it reaches your stomach it just ceases to exist so like you have like the actions that that nobody else is going to take Giovanni's going to take them and do good essentially mm-hmm. uh cuz like i think he thinks about himself in a in a in a villainous way because he is breaking he broke into a museum mm-hmm. but he is a good person because he's able to treat others with kindness even his enemies like he's able to treat them with respect and kindness he like like he calls them names and mm-hmm. like he like uh likes makes fun of them but at the end of the day uh and like you said he's petty but he also cares like he he's mm-hmm. not I don't think Giovanni's gonna like kill someone because mm-hmm. I think Giovanni is very like even when when he's fighting Lori in the the book, like 
uh, he knows what how Lori has been treating Molly, but for some reason he's treating her with a lot of compassion. And once you understand, hey, he's seen her as a victim as well of the dad. <laughs> Giovanni, uh, like, really doesn't like Molly's dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 Giovanni is able to see just like. I, I the first time I, I read the book I was like why is Giovanni being so nice to her like she doesn't deserve it but then when I uh, like l- listened to it again I was like oh he's seen her as a victim too and even when he goes against her he's like you still can change you still can be a, a better person Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's not at the end of the day you are making bad decisions but the way you're feeling like it's not your fault like and I get that like you're broken you're hurt so it is this again it's this walking contradiction of there is a lot of 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 um of Christian values in there yeah. in his way of thinking uh, but he's also a a villain, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's cool and edgy. Because <laughs> I think at the end of the day, whether you're a hero or a villain or anywhere in between, your actions are motivated against uh, are motivated by fighting back against some sort of injustice. Like when you're a hero, your backstory is, oh, I lost my parents in this war or something, so now I'm going to fight to prevent any war from happening. Or you're, if you're a villain, my backstory might be, I lost my parents, and so therefore I'm going to destroy anyone who like, I'm going to destroy anyone else who has a happy life because I don't get to have a happy life. Like and and like both sides are basically trying to fight against some injustice just by going in very different opposing ways with very different means and codes and like even when you're in between again you're fighting back against some injustice but like your way about fighting back against that injustice and your code about doing so can be very different so in the case of Giovanni yeah it seems like the one one of the injustices that he's fighting back against is anything that prevents self-expression where like that's what the one of the biggest things he advocates for Mm -hmm. as being a villain is a person being so confident in themselves that they're free to express themselves the way they want to as the way they're meant to express like i'm some like one moment one small moment among many moments i'm thinking back to is there's this moment towards the end of the book where rick shades finally becomes friends with molly and like winds up imitating her powers and so like when molly finally develops her ability to the bear claw attack rick winds up uh, imitating that as well and like he has this whole like black bear paw theme or whatever but like when before he calls it a black bear ball he just calls it bear paw just like molly like he rips off molly per se and then giovanni is like suddenly giving him all these notes where it's like hey buddy you got a cool aesthetic that's great i love that but at the same time if you're gonna be a villain you gotta be original you can't just rip off someone else like you got to like express yourself in your own unique way first he's basically saying it's like you got to like if you're going to be a villain you got to be a villain that expresses you like you can't rip off someone else you can't do what anyone else tells you you can't be a mimic or you can't like uh put all these self-imposed rules upon yourself you got to express what's inside you like that's the key part of being a villain and that's a key part of what giovanni cares about and that's again one of the reasons why he attaches himself to molly because she's a girl who never really got to express herself or like is scared of expressing herself because she thinks that expressing herself is bad or like all these other people keep imposing all these things on her and he's like no 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 you can express yourself you're allowed to express yourself if you become a villain and join me i'll show you how to express yourself because that's what 
what you need in order to enjoy life is being able to appreciate and understand yourself and share that and like share that out whether people ask for it or not yeah i think i think he has a very interesting point of view where essentially uh, we all believe in a a different essentially like a different moral code like we we go by the by by our faith and our um and what our parents taught us uh but Giovanni comes from a crime family. Like, Giovanni is part of Trixie's family, by the way. Yep, they're so, cousins. So his family... Their families are criminals. So, like, of course he's gonna be a villain. Because his family is... our villains. Mm-hmm. Like, his family's our villains. But him he has his own moral code like he has his own he created his own morality like within that faith within that villain faith right and like he had a good example and and he had a good example it's like bounce off of because his family are villains yeah but like they're villains that look out for each other and care for each other as you see as you hear more about trixie's backstory and how her older siblings the roughhouse gang may have gotten in jail and may have beaten up a lot of people but they still genuinely care for their family or are willing to do so much in order to take care of each other and i'm sure that also applies to giovanni being part of the extended family as a cousin so like he sees a lot of good and villainy that may other people may not normally see or assume is not there Correct. Like, uh, I I think it's interesting to me because it's like you got the ocean, uh, ocean gang or whatever. What's the name? Ocean. Ocean Bliss. race. And oh, just, Bliss Ocean. Yes. Oh, Bliss Ocean. Um, which wants essentially to take away like epithet. They want epithets to cease to exist essentially, because uh, they're. <coughs> They believe it's unfair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the lines in the book that I really like was that uh, Lori at the end of it was like, I wish I didn't have this power. I wish it would just go away. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's possible because of mm-hmm. the amulet. Mm-hmm. Arson amulet. So we know that that's possible, and he said it's he sets it to to a Naven, who we believe, we believe I, at least I think so, and you you told it's me like ninety nine percent implied that he is the leader of Bliss Ocean, that mm-hmm. he is the true big bad of the series, and the, again a walking contradiction because. He's such a nice person. Naven's one of the nicest people like, you could ever meet. Like, he is helping out some kids. Some kids, uh, helping them communicate. He He's one of... Uh, uh, Finica and him pay... Essentially, buy things at the store, at the toy store, just to keep it alive and for them to have income. Mm-hmm. Like, they're like, the only ones paying for stuff. 
Like, he's just like Molly, he's empathetic to a fault, to the point where he's able to do all these things, even, like, go beyond his normal limits, just because he cares so much. And yet, he's prop most likely the leader of this evil terrorist organization, and that's so fascinating. Yeah, and, but we know that he has an evil side. Like, we see the poison coming out in a couple of scenes. Yeah. Like... It, it, you see him like very being very menacing towards Lori because of her like because of her power. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, there's like a level of disgust mm -hmm. that you see like coming out. But then by the end of the book, he's he sees a kid who's broken, mm -hmm. and like he tries to send her in the right direction with Giovanni. Because he knows that Giovanni, as he meets Giovanni and he learns about Giovanni, he's like, oh, this kid is a good influence mm -hmm. to Molly and and to to this other kid as well, to, to Loreline. And that is really interesting. Every single character except for, uh, for Percy, Percy is just good. <laughs> Percy is just like a cop. And it's good, but the funny thing is that nowadays, cops are not seen as good guys, like, in society. So, for a liberal mindset, or a, or at least the perception that we have about cops, like, in, in a social standpoint, a lot of people... Cubs are not the best thing. So she is also a walking contradiction. Mm -hmm. Because uh, she has this power that usually people use it for not very good things. And she is just extremely nice and good. And, and to, a, what? to a fault. She's yes. textbook, like, textbook, following rules, mm -hmm. good. And that's where, like, another irony comes in that I really love about Percy. It's like, yeah, she's very straight-laced, very, very, very by the book. But then once you start getting into, like, her humor and how the series of the... the humor of the series is expressed to her through her you wind up seeing that she's basically just as chaotic and unhinged as the other characters but again in her own straight laced good yeah. way where like i love some of the jokes i love some like the little blurbs you learn about her behind the scenes where it's like oh yes every day she eats um a slice of toast with water and then on holidays she adds butter to the water it's like oh, wow <laughs> again like that's just as quirky as any other characters but like still showing off how straight laced and like plain white bread she is but like in her own weird quirky way at the same time so it's like yes we're taking this good character but we're taking her to a logical extreme like even this like straight laced goodness is weird and quirky and unique in its own way i guess we can then walk around and talk about now percy and Ramsey. Mm. So we have a similar. There's a similar dynamic with Giovanni and Molly here, but very unique in its own terms. Because uh, we got Ramsey, who is a a criminal, but he also we learn that he's also very like kind of like a good guy. Mm-hmm. It's like... Because, <laughs> like, we've, they even uh, mentioned at the end, some of the people he cons are, like, other villains and CEOs who, like, clearly don't care, give a damn about yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
and and then we got Percival King, who is a police officer, and she has a real goddamn sword. <laughs> um, and she is super kind and nice, uh, but weird. Just mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, the the weirdest person you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, very, very particular, very neurodiverse, <laughs> indeed. Uh, she is extremely neurodiverse. Um, and, uh, yeah, what, what do you think about Percival and, and, and Rancy? I think it's a lot of fun. Again, I like the, I like the opposing duo suddenly, like, making such a surprisingly good team. Where, like, again, you got, like, the straight-laced Percy. She's very good at what she does. She very much cares about doing by- things by the book. Is very straightforward and honest. And then you have Ramses, who's very not honest, but at the same time, also, like Giovanni, is not a bad person at all. He just very much cares about looking out for himself. But, but it's very funny seeing the two of them paired together, where it's like, Oh, like, like Percy is almost so straightforward that it, that um, even while Ramses is trying to trick her, like use her use him use her for his purposes, he winds up getting himself in more trouble than he expected because like Percy is just so chaotically straightforward. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, um, he tr- he uses like I love how like he use tries to use Percy in order to protect himself against Zora, but then po- Zora basically just thrust throws. Basically, just throws Ramses at Zora and herself as well in order to like stop Zora from getting away. So it's like, oh, this thing, this cop that I can totally—he's like, oh yeah, this like goofy little cop that I can totally like use to my advantages is totally getting me in more hot water than I ever expected to. And where where is this going right now? So like, it, I love the irony of like this con man, this this chaotic evil con man, or is like completely caught off guard by this police woman and like has no idea what's going to happen next because she's so straightforward. It's- yeah, I just love the fact that she's like, oh, me, <laughs> like her lesson at the end of the day is maybe bad guys also good sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, may- and maybe and really Ramsey learns maybe good guys cause a lot more trouble than I expected. <laughs> yeah, and you have uh, Ramsey, uh, Ramsey. You would think that Percy and Ran from Percy and Ramsey's duo, you would think that Percy is the straight man. No, Ramsey is the straight. Yep, yep. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so funny. So here's the thing: we have like we we've been talking about these walking contradictions that uh, essentially is villains uh, being good guys, but. The show actually has true bad guys. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like the the show at least the the book didn't have clear bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing: I something I really love about the this this world is similarly to Steven Universe. There's always a second chance, mm-hmm. and you see that characters can change yes if people are kind to each other yes because there is a kindness like in the first season when the first half of the season there's one villain the villain is mara Mm -hmm. mara is a straight up villain with her tragic backstory Mm -hmm. Uh, she's always felt pain and, and uh, anything uh, 
because All her epithet is fragile. Or no, glass. Is it fragile or glass? Fragile. I forget. It's fragile, I think. Okay, it's cool. Cool. Uh, and essentially, her epithet, she can make anything fragile. Like any uh, surface, any like glass, anything. And she can attack with those things. Um, she can. She has a, a sense of telekinetic power as well. Uh, out of the fragile thing, like uh, anything she breaks, she kind of has like a tele telekinetic control over it. Um, and essentially, uh, by the way, she's played by Lindsay Lindsay Shepherd. Lindsay Shepherd. And uh, uh, an amazing job. She, she mm-hmm. does an incredible job. Uh, Mera, uh, but the power, fragile, also makes her fragile. So uh, I don't know if you guys remember the SpongeBob guy, like the SpongeBob, <laughs> like broken bones guys. Do you remember the actual quote from the from the? Oh, I don't remember the full thing? quote, but I know exactly the moment you're thinking of. It's like every okay. like every so, day I wake like, up I break my bones and things like that. Yeah, every day I wake up and I uh, <laughs> I walk down the stairs and I break my bones. Yeah, something like that. I was like, born with glass bones she, and paper skin. Essentially, that's what she is, and she um, her pain is excruciating. She's always in pain. Uh, we're told that. It really hurts, um, and uh, essentially that's where her evilness comes from. Essentially, is the fact that uh, there's so much pain. She wants to. She doesn't have energy to be a good. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't have the energy to be good or kind, because she's only thinking about getting rid of her power. <laughs> Again, she's fighting back like, an injustice. No. no, no. no not getting rid of her power, actually. Just getting she rid of the pain. She believes that... Getting rid of the pain. Thank you. She believes that why should she give up her power if she spent it so long trying to control it? So so she has this level of entitlement, right? Um, and instead of just getting rid of her power with the... With the Arsene amulet, by the way, the Arsene amulet is the MacGuffin of the show. Uh-huh. That's why it's called Epithet Erased. It, it is a amulet that erases people's or takes people's epithet mm-hmm. from them. Uh, and whoever has the amulet possesses that power now. Um, so her plan is to take Molly's epithet away. Which Giovanni thinks is not a good thing to do, mm-hmm. even if you're a villain. You don't take things away from people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, <laughs> so the empathy. Again, the empathy is a sign of a person's originality. So it's like, why should you take away someone else's originality? Keep your own originality. Exactly. It's like, don't take away what what makes that person that person. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? Um. 
But yeah, Mera at the end of the day, again, it's like fighting against an injustice. It's like, why should I be the only one that's in pain all the time? Why should I be the one that's fragile? I spend all this time training my epithet and I'm still in pain. Why should I have to deal with this? So she's fighting back against that. But the problem is her deal, her method of fighting back against that injustice is dehumanizing everyone else. But like, as you pointed out earlier, with a little bit of kindness, there's a redemption that can, a potential redemption that comes with her, because you see this sweet moment at the end of the arc where, like, she gets sent to jail, and Molly uses her powers to temporarily dumb down Mara's pain, and she realizes that, oh, I don't necessarily, and you, there's an implication that she realizes, oh, I don't necessarily have to be a bad person all the time in order to get what I want. I can be nicer to people, and maybe people will be nicer to me and give me what I want as well. Like, you don't have to dehumanize other people and, and use and manipulate them you can acknowledge yourself as a person just as you want other people to acknowledge you and, and and everyone acknowledges each other and when we look out for each other we can potentially get more of what we want as opposed to trying to take it from other people yes you can ask for help <laughs> mm-hmm. like it you can always ask for help and there's always going to be someone out there that will legitimately help you. Mm. I I believe that. Um, and we know that Mera and Ramsey are gonna be the next, like, protagonist, main character protagonist of the next book, and I'm so excited. Oh because yeah, Mera and Ramsey and uh, Endus are gonna be great together. It's so, it sounds like, like such a I'm great so combo. Excited. It is like, and I, I, I'm so excited because I'm, I'm guessing Percy's gonna be part of that arc as well. Oh, I uh, hope so. I want to see so both of those pairings just them? like clash with. <laughs> yeah, I want to see both of those characters together, just like. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, it'd be so fun. Yeah, so uh, essentially, like we have that character. Then the second half of the first season, we have Sora. Uh, Sola, Solar, Solasar. Zora Salazar. Zora Salazar. Salazar. There we Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. She is played by Dawn M. Bennett. Dawn M. Bennett does an amazing job uh, playing a cowboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, interesting thing about Mera. Mera's uh, backstory is revealed in a song. Uh, that is canon to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's that her parents got killed by, uh, the, uh, organization that, that Giovanni decided to leave, which was the, uh, the, uh, the Bonsai, the Bonsai Blasters. Blasters? Yeah. She, mm. like, her parents are killed by Bonsai Blasters. They were, um, Pantheol, what's it called? Uh, the people that excavate, um... Paleontologists. Yeah, that's where her parents were. Uh, they were killed by uh, by bon- uh, bonsai blasters, and she decided to uh, seek vengeance uh, and killed. I believe killed everybody that killed her parents, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so, so we know that. At least she has a code. She has a essentially like this code of like she does not like epithets, but she's also kind of a hypocrite about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, she is willing to essentially, and her epithet is really powerful. 
Yes. Like, she can essentially turn you into dust by just, like, or nothing, I guess. Like, she can make you younger or older. She essentially has her uh, own take on time powers with her epithet sundial. It's not quite as OP as traveling through time, but, like, she can manipulate the time span of other things, basically. Yeah. Of things and people... It's pretty, pretty insane. It's really insane, yes. powerful. So thank that. It's very thankf- thankfully she does not like epithets, or she would be <coughs> um, unstoppable. Yes, thankfully she I has think. some level of a code. Because like, if she did not, then yeah, our char- our main characters of part two would not have survived. Because eventually she's like, okay, fine. Yes, I'll accept this and move on. Otherwise, she would straight up kill them. Exactly. I, I, I she has the semblance of a code, like she has the tragic backstory. <coughs> I I think she is a true villain. Um but she does have a code. I think we have characters in the world that are true villains, mm-hmm. characters that are actually like good. And then you have the in-between characters that are the most interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And, like, again, though, uh, whether they're hero or villain or in-between, these are all very human characters. And I feel like when you stop and look at them, yes. there's all a, there's a logic to everything they do. There's It's often paradoxical and often roundabout. But, like, even with Zora here, I feel like there's a very honest and human logic to how she does things. Where it's like, yes, she's a villain. But, again, she's fighting back against, in her case, the quote-unquote injustice she's fighting back against. And, like, the reason she wants to get rid of epithets is that epithets, again, make things unfair, make things boring, make life less interesting. And so she's like, why should life be less, why should life be uninteresting? I don't want my life to be uninteresting. I want to make things more interesting, more fun for me. Which, again, is a very human instinct. But, again, her problem is that she dehumanizes everyone else. And it's like, oh, well, in order to get what I want, I'm just going to take it from other people and do as I please. And that's, again, that's the very villainous way about going about it exactly i think it, like you said the the best thing about the show and the book is that the characters are so well written and that's why that is why this show and this book are so good that's why the show is beloved by many people is because the characters actually feel like humans they they feel real mm-hmm. they're not this black and white they are the in between. They are the, the 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 real, the human, like element to it is brought in. And that's another uh, beautiful contradiction I, of this series as a whole, because these characters feel so human and feel so natural, but at the same time they're like doing all these ridiculous things, have this complete ridiculous humor, yes. like milking pine cones, and they completely sell it as completely normal. But that's what makes it so all the more fun, because there there's so much honesty and authenticity in the middle of all this absurdity and that's what's great exactly i think that is what's great about it is that the entire show is a walking contradiction because you it's an animated show but it's not animated it's a because it has like animated fully animated scenes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh but the rest of it is just like uh cardboard cutouts like Mm -hmm. talking to each other Mm -hmm. like in beautiful backgrounds beautiful art Everything is beautiful, like, to be honest, mm-hmm. like, it, it's incredible. But it's, like, is this walking contradiction of being a show but not being recognized as a show. Like, being, like, a, <laughs> like, it, it, it's so, uh, all the characters are just, like, essentially just, like, like, 
have this like weird worldview, but at the same time they're they can have this morality. Like Finika is another character that's just like morally good. Mm-hmm. She's just a good character, but I love the fact that she can be with her friends and still hold her morals. Mm-hmm. I think that is such a beautiful representation of reality. Mm-hmm. Like I think that I see a huge problem with. The, the, the reason I, I really don't like getting into politics, left, right, uh, and also into, like, the minutiae of Christianity's problem with the world, uh, the world versus Christianity mentality, I really dislike both of them, uh, both, both, of, both of these concepts, because they imply... They, they 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 imply that they, they there's two extremes mm-hmm. that you need to leave live by and that no one can interact in between mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you voted for this person you are evil you are racist you are a uh, whatever whatever if you voted for this person you are uh you you're evil you are uh, trying to give an agenda to the world, whatever, whatever. Like, I, uh, and, and then you got Christianity and ver- versus the world mentality, which is everything, every show and every movie, mm-hmm. everything in it, it the, every character needs to be good and good, 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 good. And all the, uh, the the evil needs to be the evil bad guys. Or there's, like, it. any mention of witchcraft or any sort of, like, supernatural stuff. It's all demonic. It's all the devil. Blah, blah, blah. Pokemon's yeah. evil because they have evolution. Blah, blah, blah. That sort of thing. Yeah. And then you have the, the, the world mentality, the other side, where it's like, no, like, every, anything good is cringe. And, like, we can't like good things. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, because good th- There's no good, exist. only irony there's, or evil. Yeah, there's only evil. There's no good. Humanity is is just a pit of fire, and, and nothing is good in it. And that's not true either. I like, uh, I, I I personally th- like, and again, like uh, me as a Christian, I do have a problem. Me personally with uh, how. Uh, movies and shows are so vulgar and so like a uh, kind of pornographic sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> nowadays uh, to a level but that's me personally mm-hmm. uh, I-, I do think that there's a set that, that and that's why I use um, I personally use vid vid angel uh, to watch a lot of the shows I w- uh, try to that are like too extreme to me. Like, for example, uh-huh. I, I watched The Boys finally, a co- like a month ago. Oh boy! Uh, watched the th- three seasons with Vid Angel because Vid Angel allows you to uh, essentially uh-huh. block or t- take out all the nudity, uh, all the swearing, right, profanity, right. all that stuff. It all gets censored, uh, so essentially you're just left with the story. The boys has an amazing story, and it, it, the characters are also very human and all. It just gets very like lost within within all the gross things. Mm-hmm. 
in my eyes, in my in my opinion, I think it's just like unnecessary to me personally, and that's why I like cartoons. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's why I don't I don't like a lot of R-rated shows and stuff like that. Uh, and be sure it's TV because essentially cartoons nowadays are conveying the exact same thing that those shows are trying to convey in their message, but without all that extra stuff that I'm kind of like, it's not needed. People say that it's necessary to portray reality, but I, I personally don't think it is. And you have a wider audience, in my opinion, the way that uh, that that um, uh, Giello does does his show, because his show feels like it's for everyone and the mm-hmm. book as well. Like it's not just for kids. Like this is not a kids thing. It feels very broad because there is a little bit of swearing in the book and in the show as well uh, later on. So, like, I don't think it's a kid's thing, right? Uh, but it is a cartoon. And I feel like, I think people respect cartoons still to be like, to not include all those things. I don't know what it is. Like, am I making sense, Nathan? I don't know. Oh, you, yeah, you totally. Tell me if I'm and, like, I think the beauty sense. of cartoons in general, and especially in this show, is that. The great thing about cartoons is even though they don't reflect reality literally, they, they're, they like, often ridiculous, ridiculous, absurd, and goofy. And like, of course, like, that's to be expected. But even though they don't reflect reality in that sense, they re- wind up reflecting reality in deeper and truer senses. Like, the el- analogy I like to think about is, like, a funhouse mirror. It's like, you're looking at yourself in a funhouse mirror. Obviously, that's not your literal... A reflection like your head's gonna be exaggerated your body's gonna be like warped up and like and like all these different parts of you are gonna be like warped and shaped and and like change in different directions but at the same time it's still you and if anything it, what it does is it makes an effort to like magnify certain elements of you or demagnify other things for the sake of making this very amusing pastiche of yourself to make you realize oh so yeah that's what my head like looks like in that sense or, like that's what my body looks like in this other sense and it's not meant to say oh yeah we don't want to reflect reality at all but more it's like saying don't forget about this one aspect of your reality, or don't forget about this one other part. Like, this is the point of the story. We want to talk about this. And by emphasizing that, you'll have a clear, a slightly clearer picture in that sense by, ironically, not being literal about it. So, like, to use Epithet Erased's example, like we were talking about, there's this beautiful grace you see among the characters of the show, where even though they have such differing, dif- uh, differentiating uh, uh, views and opinions on things, they're not condemned, per se, for having that, and they still seem to get along with each other. Like, one of the best relationships I see is, like, you don't, they don't lean into, they don't, um, you don't see too much of it, but the stuff you see is pretty good, where between Feeny and Giovanni, because obviously they have very different opposing views. Like, uh, Feeny is very morally good, she's a magical girl, and very much values being good, and Giovanni very much values being bad. And they, obvi- they obviously butt heads over that and, like, make fun of each other and tease each other, but at the same time, they're not, like, 
morally opposed to the the other person's existence where they're not saying oh this is a horrible person or that's a bad or like Feeny's like Giovanni's like making fun of Feeny but like he's never vitriolic about it same thing with Feeny where like Feeny can get harsh with Giovanni but she still accepts him as someone that's beloved by Molly and who has genuinely helped Molly so again there's a sort of grace that's showing on where it's like even though they have these different opposing views there are still people that can get along with each other because they can see the good that this person has done either to each other or to the people that are important to them. And so that's very reflective of life, where it's like, life has a lot of gray areas, life has a lot of grace, where it's like, yeah, we might have different opinions, we might feel differently about these things, but in reality, we can't really see each other as good people or bad people just because of that. At the, same, at the end of the day, we just see each other as people, and if we try to go to these extremes, that's where the problems really come from. So, like, I like Epithet of Wraith because, again, like we're talking about, there are all these walking contradictions that wind up still making sense within the context of each person and within the context of the, per of the series as a whole because this show is showing that life is complicated and messy and often doesn't make sense, but at the same time, that's the reality. And so even in the middle of all this uncertainness, it's showing this very, very clear reflection of the truth of reality that lots of things don't make sense, lots of things are complicated, but we are, at the end of the day, we're still just people who are trying to do our best with each other. And that's it. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that was my point. Thank you for bringing it back to it. <laughs> uh, I, like, got lost in the minutia. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was my point, is the, the fact that we, in real life, we see all these extremes that fight against each other, but then they don't see the reality that is our walking contradictions. Yes. Life is often... see that... People hey. like to... People think that life is either either or, but oftentimes life is both and. Sorry, continue. Yes. No, no, yeah. Like, uh, it, that. that's perfect because... It, it, like, I... Like, there's so much... People like to villainize Christianity... But there are so many types of Christians. There's a spectrum of, of, of Christians, so, so it's like, it's not fair. The same way, the same way, in the same way, I don't think we should judge other religions because there's also a spectrum of, of different, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, different people within those religions, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Like, every religion has a different spectrum, every religion has a different belief. Right? But they have a different spectrum of each of those beliefs. <coughs> like, even, I, I, there is some religions that I do think that the, the, the books that they have are, like, very much, like, they don't say really good things. Uh, but we have people in, that believe that the Bible also doesn't say good things. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, it's all about perspective and where do you stand? What do you believe? Where you were raised? What type of life you let lived? Like we have a, a very good example with with Molly and her sister. Molly suffered the same, like the same. Her, her mom died, right? But then we have two splitting things from there. We got Molly, someone who decides to take the responsibility of her mother in her hands and we have Lori who decides to cower and uh essentially just regress and become a kid mm -hmm. right we got a one of the siblings who was the youngest 
decided to become the adult of the house, and one the the oldest be- decided to become the the kid of the house. And again, a contradiction there because then the first time I read the book. And the reason I got really angry at Loreline is that I am an older brother. If my older brother was was being treated the way, uh, if, if if my little brother was being treated the same way that Molly was, I I would be enraged. I I would take care of my my brother. Uh, I would be there for my brother. I would take the 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 reins. Like, I would take the responsibility because I am the older brother. Like, I would, like, if my parents died, I would take, I would take my brother in. Mm-hmm. Like, if he needed a home. Mm-hmm. Because I would like to take that responsibility. I am the eldest. I am the oldest. I'm supposed to protect my little brother. So, for her to decide to do the opposite was something that I couldn't forgive from her as an older brother. Uh, (coughs) Right? But then the second time I listened to it, I came around because I saw her as well as a victim of abuse too. Mm -hmm. And a victim of neglect. Because she is being neglected by her father as well. And she also suffered the death of her mother. And that and it's just it just happened the first time i i i misunderstood how long it had been because i thought i thought it happened like like 10 years ago i thought that's what happened like Mm. that like molly was like two or something like that when it happened but i misunderstood because in the book it says that it's only been two years that's really recent yeah so I, i was like oh okay now I understand better because I th- that was my misunderstanding, uh, and that's what happens sometimes with books to <laughs> me because I like I'm far better at like retaining information when it comes to shows and movies, mm-hmm. but when it comes to books, I kind of like because of ADHD, I kind of get lost sometimes in all the words, um, lost in the sauce. But yeah. So, so the, the next time I listened to it, I was like, oh, it's only been two years. Now I understand where Lori's coming from. Like, and uh, she used to have such a good relationship with her little sister. And she wanted to play with the little sister. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't get to play with her little sister anymore because her little sister is now taking care of the responsibilities that she does not want to take care of. Mm-hmm. And then from her perspective, so, she thinks Molly is ignoring her, but Molly's just taking up a responsibility that no one else would do. And then from Molly's perspective, she thinks Lori yeah. is just ignoring everyone, but Lori is just severely hurt and can't really face reality because of the trauma she's dealt with. And so this whole story, the beautiful thing about the story is both of them learning to have a bit more perspective with each other, which therefore leads to more grace and empathy. Now, I do think that Lori is in, in the complete wrong here. I still don't like her but of course. i don't anymore i don't i don't see her as the villain i see her as a victim here just a very messy uh, human like everyone else just yeah like i wouldn't be her friend mm-hmm. i would still be sad like i would still try to help her mm-hmm. 
I wouldn't be her friend, but I would still try to help her, like Giovanni did, mm -hmm. I think. Like, in real life, if I went to that, and if I was in that situation, I would still try, hey, like, I think you need help, I think blah, blah, blah. But I would not be her friend, <laughs> because at the end of the day, she didn't even apologize mm -hmm. when it came to what she did. It was all internal, which it's fine. Mm -hmm. Like, you can, you can internally process things, right? But when you don't express those things to people, then whatever process and whatever progress you do within your mind does not negate the fact that you were still a very horrible person. Yeah. At the end and of the day, she didn't fully take responsibility. Exactly. You haven't taken responsibility. And that's her fear. I think she fears responsibility. I think she doesn't want it because she fears that she's going to mess it up. But she's not communicating those things. She's mm -hmm. just being a jerk. Right. And that's it. another main uh, thing about this book, which I think it's a great... I think it's a very intentional point that this all centers around Molly trying to do interpersonal communication class. It's like both Molly and her sister have struggled with communicating with each other. And that's a big thing about asserting yourself as a person while also considering others but not being selfish is like you need to be more communicative about like what you need and other people need to communicate about what they need. And then you all can find some common ground to... Um, compromise with each other the problem is like if you don't communicate you have to go to one one extreme where you'd go full villain and therefore try to take what you want from other people or you go full tragic hero like molly and therefore let everyone walk all over you while not communicating what you need and so both both sisters have just struggled with that whole communication thing in the past and i think by the end of the story they both got a little bit more insight about why it's so important to communicate what you need to other people because that's how you actually get what you want while also still while also still considering other people. And that's what I think the message of this whole like show and book is is communication. Because I, I think that that's the kind of like the message here because since everybody's in a different everybody has such a different worldview. Yep. But the reason why they can make it work between the people that are nice is that they communicate. Mm -hmm. Like, if you notice, like, the people that are actually friends and are actually kind to each other are people that are communicating. Yep. Like, we got Molly, Fo uh, uh, Finica, Trixie, they're communicating. Mm -hmm. They communicate very well with, with, with each other. Like, Whenever Molly and Rick Shades communicate, make that connection with each other, is because Rick Shades drops the persona, drops the mask that he was forced to 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 put on because of society, and communicated his feelings, communicated mm -hmm. how he felt, why was he the way he was, and then. Molly could understand. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, in reality, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear the other perspective. We don't want to hear what other people th uh, believe, think, feel. We just want to villainize everyone mm -hmm. instead of communicating. 
We want to villainize anyone who has a different opinion, anyone who has a different uh, way of living, instead of communicating. Why is there such a... I, I Something I really dislike right now is the fact that there's so many people just in society just asking for kindness, respect, understanding, and just a sense of, hey, this is who I am. Can you respect this? Why can't we respect that? I don't, I don't understand why we can't respect that. And then from the other side, why can those people respect that some of us have a different view on and on how things can affect society if we don't take responsibility of our actions it's okay like it's okay like there's there is a middle ground there has to be a middle ground of being like yes we can accept people we can uh treat them in kindness we can be like Yes, we accept the way you are. We accept the way you want to be. But maybe there's certain limits that we have to put in so that maybe other people don't get hurt as well in the process of you expressing who you are. Because that's the thing with Giovanni. Giovanni believes that you should express who you are without hurting other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? And yep. I think, like people can't see that today like n n from either side of the political spectrum either side of, of religious uh, like events and all this stuff is that we can't see the humanity in our neighbors because life gets a lot harder when you and do and i think people have a hard time handling that hardness because there's so much more you have to consider now. It's like, oh, this isn't some dehumanizing enemy or demon that I have to fight and kill. This is another human like me. And if I can't fight and kill this other human like me, then what do I do with all these feelings and other things I ha can't handle on my own? It's like, it's very much of a... Whether people realize it or not, it's their way of trying to, t trying to take control of reality by minimizing the amount of information they have to deal with and process. But the thing is, life is a lot more, like we're saying, life is a lot more complex, and part of that complexity means we're not as controlled as we, as we would like to be. But people, that's like one of the biggest things we have a hard time accepting, is that we are not that much in control. If at all. Yeah, and I think both sides of the extreme have like they, they have things that are they're right about and things that are wrong about. And the things that mm -hmm. are wrong about, they don't want to admit they're wrong about them. And the things mm -hmm. that are right about, they don't want to admit that, like, oh, that person, that those people are right about those things. And those people are right about those things. And they're wrong about that and they're wrong about this. Like, there's no middle ground. And the, the people that are in the middle, uh, people always get so, like, like, oh, I can't believe it. A, a, a black person can can be can be like a right leaning <laughs> like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what <laughs> like it's like yes they are a person <laughs> they can have any type of morality religion like what, what do you like any type of culture like what I don't understand 
the reality we live live in nowadays. It's like, and the same thing is like, oh, oh, you're Christian, but you also believe that people should have rights. Like, yeah, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, I do. Like, I think that that nobody should be that no rights should be taken away from people. I and that includes everybody. I think everyone. Uh, like, outside of what I believe, should be able to live their lives. Um, but if they want to believe what I believe, then they have to follow, like, the actual religion, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, it's not too hard to ask. I think it's so weird to me that there's so many people nowadays that live within, like, Christianity and are so opposed by the Bible and I'm like if you don't want to believe in it you can just not be a Christian <laughs> it, it, it's such a weird thing right it's like I don't get it but at the same time I guess you know do do what you will but I don't try to say that you have the truth because you're literally going against what the Bible says. So it's like, I don't know. I'm like, I think just if you want to live a, a specific life, live that specific life. But I guess then again, we are humans. We are walking contradictions most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's basically, basically it. I I, I, think, I think at the end of the day, and I think the difficulty yeah. for a lot of people, any one of us, is that at the end of the day, we're often scared, which makes it hard to both face each other and face ourselves. And I think that's a good parallel that you see happening with both Lorelai and Molly. Is like at the end of the day, they're both just scared little girls that don't have very much self-esteem. And they go about trying to face life, or well, rather, ignore life and ignore their their selves and their own needs by escaping their own ways. Like Lori literally escapes by like going into her little world bubbles and trying to play the hero because she feels like the only way she can accept herself is if she like plays the hero and does everything right in her stories. And by playing the hero, maybe she can finally be good about herself. And meanwhile, Molly runs away. Yeah. She runs away from herself by ignoring her all of her own needs, and like you said, takes on the responsibility of being the only responsible member of the family, and so therefore has to put herself aside all the time in order to take care of everyone else, because she feels like if she takes care of herself, then she's being a bad person, which obviously is not true at all. But she, she's escaping from that side of herself, just as Lori's escaping from facing the reality that maybe she killed her mom or not, but like both of them are trying to escape in their own ways because they just don't feel good about themselves and they both basically feel like they're bad people. Like, but that's like part of the reason why Molly is so quick to like always condemn herself every single time something goes wrong. She's like, oh, I'm sorry, or this is my fault, or like, I should have done this role better. I'm so sorry. Like, she's quick to call herself bad. And at the same time, the biggest moment that you see Lori get shook is like, at, like you talked about earlier, towards the end of the book where she hurts Rick and like very, like very much hurts Rick and like something that no hero would ever do. And then immediately after that, Molly, the one person that she wanted to like seek validation from, the one person that she wanted to play with and make file, Molly says, Lori, you are bad. You are a bad person. And so she, 
And she could not deny that because she saw unequivocal proof right in front of her with that bloody Rick Shades right in front of her. It's like both girls are terrified yeah. of the idea of being bad and therefore try to escape in their own ways by either denying themselves or ignoring themselves. And because of that, they don't see reality as they're meant to see reality. And what's more, they're not able to communicate in the ways they need to. So I think just like in the story and just like reality in general, lots of people just don't feel good about themselves or are so scared that they're trying to take control by ignoring all these parts about reality because they feel like they can't handle it. So it's like, okay, in this this vast global map that is reality, I'm just going to stick to these like two or three paths that I can handle because I can know these paths, I can handle these paths well, and ignore all this other ma big massive map and just pretend it's all black. But at the same time though, that's just doing yourself a disservice because this map, this massive tapestry of life is something that we're meant to be a part of and enjoy, but you're too scared to go out there and explore it and enjoy it. Because you think you can't handle it yourself, handle it, or you think you're bad, or you think you're not worthy, or for whatever reason. So we all try to take control in some ways, just like the blind deaf sisters, because we feel like we're not worthy. Yeah, and again, we see that, I think that's a very good example of what we see in reality, is the fact that both the sisters kind of hate each other, but they still love each other, but they hate, they, essentially they... They don't like each other. I think Molly essentially just... I think she lost faith in her sister completely. Mm -hmm. But Lori still has like this deep love for her as well. Uh, and misses her. But I think it's such an interesting thing. Because we are able to see both inside of each character's mind. Mm -hmm. uh, inside of Molly's mind and inside of Lori's mind. And even though they can't communicate, even though they hate each other, right? Like, there is a sense of if they would just communicate, maybe they would find a middle ground. Maybe they would find a place where they can be like, oh, you also feel like this? I feel like this as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that, some, that sometimes it happens in real life. And, and I, I think I'm happy that a lot... I think that... I don't. I, I think that re, our world is not bleak as bleak right now. I, I think that we are coming to that. We're coming to a a a place where I th I see more people that are understanding and we can actually communicate. I, there mm -hmm. are still a lot of people that, like you said, they don't want to and they want to stay within their own way and. You know, that's just how it is, and, mm -hmm. and you have to live within, we have to navigate within this world. Um, we, we know that at some point this world, this world will reach peace, uh, in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, I hope we can get there soon, but I know it'll probably take longer than than uh yeah than what we wish it would be who knows all we can uh, do is try and do our part yeah exactly um anyways that that's epithet erase and that's our talk about epithet erase and person of plastic uh no, even after all that time uh, we, we barely scratched the surface really oh uh, yeah like you can still go watch the show and read the book because we it's barely so even talked about the plot. Uh, like, you can still watch them, and we I think we didn't 
really we I guess we spoiled a couple of things, but it was oh yeah, there were plenty of spoilers, and, and we were upfront about the spoilers too. Yeah, but I think you you can still enjoy the story mm -hmm. a lot. Again, this is a comedy. This is a we we talked about all the like uh, the sadness and and all the bleakness of it. Uh, but we also referenced that there's a lot of comedy and there's a lot mm -hmm. of contrast for all that. Like, so it's not, you're not going to be crying 24 seven. It's just, mm -hmm. it's going to be more laughing. Can I cry than laughing mm -hmm. again? Mm -hmm. Cause it, it, it the, the, the crying always gets a laugh afterwards. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, which is what I love about this show. It's just like, it makes you cry. Again, the consequent, the, the contradictions. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, but anyways, I think we wanted to close close off this um, episode by just talking about um, our favorite Christmas, a top five Christmas movies since we are in the season to be jolly, uh, and our the year's almost over. So, um, happy New Year's! Uh, we'll Woo! see you next year uh, on January probably. So, yeah. Um, uh, so, so let's start with you, Nathan. What, what are your top five? Ooh, let's see. It would definitely be in no particular order, but I'm trying to just think of some of the, the Christmas movies that come to my head the most. It would be Klaus, for sure, on Netflix. Uh, Rise of the Guardians. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Both the original special and the Dream Carrier movie. Let's see, let's see. Man, I'm drawing a blank in other Christmas movies that I really like. I mean, there are also other good ones, but, like, stuff that, like, really, I really, really enjoy. Hmm. Got any that... uh, any stop motion or any live action in there? Let's see. The live action will probably just be the Grinch movie. The stop motion... Yeah, the Breaking Bad are definitely, like, classic stuff. I wouldn't say, like, I'm enamored by them, but I do enjoy them. So, like, they're definitely worthwhile. Oh, ooh, Nightmare Before Christmas. That actually, yeah, that that's a good one. Yeah, I um I like uh, Home Alone, Home Alone Two, mm, 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 mm -hmm. uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, the of course the stop motion one. Uh, then you have um, the Polar Express, mm. and I really love the. Um, the SpongeBob Christmas the stop motion special. <laughs> uh, those those are my my top five. I I really love them. I I love nice. the Grinch as well. I, I just didn't want to. You already mentioned that, so I think like. Uh, oh, and Muppet, Muppet Christmas Carol is also a given. Oh yes, Muppet Christmas like. Muppet Christmas Carol is amazing. I think, like, one of my favorite things about the holidays is all the Christmas specials and movies and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I, oh yeah, I love I, I love watching a... cartoon Christmas specials growing up. Like all my favorite cartoon shows, I can name like yeah. at least one Christmas episode that I really loved. Yeah, I I love all the Christmas specials and cartoons and 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 shows and stuff like that. I think they're my favorite. Like, sometimes I just literally just, like, go back and watch them uh, on their own. Um, 
some of them really hold up. I really love mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't I lo- know if you've ever seen it, but there's there's some Nickelodeon, um, like, stop-motion thing where all the characters are celebrating Christmas. All the yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Christmas. Mm-hmm. And that was amazing. Yes. Such a good time. And yeah, I'm thinking back what to, like, all the cartoons... Say- I was just thinking back to, like, all the cartoon specials I loved watching growing up that still, like, speaking of, really do hold up. Like, I don't know if you ever watched the show Hey Arnold, but, like, the Christmas episode from that, ooh, yes. man. It gets it gets me in the feels every time. Hey Arnold let's is see, amazing. I also, such a good show. Such a good aesthetic. Such a great soundtrack. Uh, I also really love the Christmas special from Codename Kids Next Door, where it's just straight up, like, a Marvel parody at yeah. the same time. Like, I just love they turned Alpha Strike into Alpha Strike, and all the X-Men are just elves, and it's so funny. I also really loved the Billy and Mandy Christmas special, the Powerpuff Girls Christmas special, especially since they're, like, double-length episodes, so, like, both of those specials were, like, at least 45 minutes, so it felt like watching entire movies for me. So, yeah, there's just so many good cartoon yeah. specials growing up. Yeah, it is great. I, I love them all. I think that that's, like, really my favorite part of um one of my favorite part of the holidays is just rewatching those uh christmas Agreed. specials and looking looking to see if there's any new ones that mm-hmm. i missed um even even when like i haven't watched certain cartoons nowadays i like to watch the christmas episodes mm. just for fun mm-hmm, just because mm-hmm. uh it, it's just interesting to me to see Oh, what's the lore of Christmas in this world? Is Santa Claus real or not? Mm-hmm. Are they gonna mention Jesus or not? You know. Uh, oh, by the way, I don't know if you've seen. Uh, I forgot about the Christmas. Uh, uh, Santa Claus. Have you seen? You seen the Santa Claus movies? Oh, with um Tim Allen years ago, but yes. Yeah. There's a show on Disney Plus now. Oh, and I didn't I'm know that. Watching that, yes. So they they continue the story in the show, and it's new. Like it came out last year. Wow. I watched it. The second season. The second season just came out this year. Really good. Um, and they actually mentioned Jesus a lot. And well, wow. not a lot, but like more than more, more than, than you think. Other Christmas stuff, like they. They mentioned him in the first season, and then they mentioned him in the second season. Wow. Um, there was a there was a Satan joke in in the first season, and people were freaking out about it. <laughs> um, you know how people are. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But it was because Santa, if you rearrange the letters, kind of uh-huh, spell uh-huh. Satan. <gasps> so the elves. The elves were say the elves were like saying goodbye to Santa, uh, and then they accidentally spelled it goodbye season. <laughs> and every but here's the thing: the elves react to it, and they go like, <gasps> like, like it's bad. Like everybody in the North Pole hates Satan as well. Like so, perpetually he's not on the a naughty good list. Person. Exactly, like, and so they make reference to uh, the first Santa Claus, which was, um, 
St. Nicholas. They do mention him as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of callback to it because Tim Allen is Christian. I don't, I don't know if you know that. But he said that he w- he was going to participate in the in the show only if they mentioned um like the origins of christmas like if right they on. actually uh like mentioned jesus and like saint nicholas and that's the only way he was going to participate and the world is still like very magical you know like the gnomes and elves and like the gods ex- like other like um things exist so you got like mm-hmm. the, the, the the mother earth and all that so, it's a whole mythological it's hodgepodge yeah so it's like you know why why can't god exist as well uh-huh um right on so yeah it's really interesting i think uh in season two they also mentioned jesus once and it was like it was like um <laughs> they say uh, they have to uh, spoiler alert, but they they have to like replace the Easter Bunny because something happened to him. Uh, and they say the elf say says like, what what does what what does eggs have to do anything with Jesus? <laughs> what what what? what what are eggs having to do anything with Jesus? Like, that makes no sense. So it's really interesting to, to, for them to say that. Uh, since I, they're kind of saying, like, you know, it's like uh, Easter and all that. Like, it is also very much a uh, Judeo-Christian celebration. Very cool. Uh, with, with Passover and all that. So it's like... Yeah, like it's one of the first shows I've I've seen in a while that actually references um, Christianity in a Disney show. Yeah, not not <laughs> normal. It is not normal. Uh, oh, did you hear the news that Nick like Paramount and no? Oh, right, yeah, the big Paramount merger between. And, it, Warner it, Brothers Warner Discovery. Warner Brothers want to merge. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're talking about it, so that would mean that Cartoon Network Nickelodeon would merge. Dang! All the cartoon crossovers, like crossovers we ever wanted as a kid may very well be possible now. Yes, that's what I. That's what I thought. Like people, Scooby, people Scooby Doo like, will. Scooby Doo will finally meet the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then they'll have a crossover I, with Batman. All three at once. Well, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have crossed over with 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 yes. Batman already. So yes, and so like they can totally do a crossover with all three of them at once if they want. First, the precursor would be Scooby Doo meeting the Turtles, and then all three of them do it together. And then Sonic, Sonic was in a Cartoon Network show, like as a crossover. So. Uh, okay, KO. Love that uh, show. Yeah, it's really good. I really love that episode of Sonic. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it, it's really interesting because a lot of people are saying that it's a disaster and that, like, they're, like it shouldn't happen because the rivalry between Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon has been the thing that has sparked creativity for, like, all the decades. And I'm like... But yeah, but this means that all the cartoons that 
that like they can cross over now. They can be all together. It's like yes, like, this is like this is I've bad always... news from this is this may very well be bad news from an economic perspective, but from a nerdy perspective, all the crossover potential. So it's like you take the good with the bad. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I'm like I'm just focusing on the fact that if that happens, we're gonna have it. We're definitely like come on. They have to. They have to have crossovers. Like they can't. They can't just. Just acquire Nickelodeon and not be like, let's have some like sco- one of the, those like s- straight to DVD Scooby Doo movies and just Scooby Doo crossovering over with every single other like Nickelodeon <laughs> character. <laughs> just just like they did with a cowardly uh, cars a cowardly, cowardly dog, dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Scooby Doo and like like, like Scooby Doo is like Batman. Scooby Doo is like the crossover franchise along with Batman, which again was why I think there's so much potential yes. bringing the Ninja Turtles because the Ninja Turtles have also had a lot of crossovers. So it's like okay, if you're going to go in this crossover territory, get the three biggest crossover franchises that you have right now and have them crossover. Imagine the Teen Titans. Ti- Teen Titans Go also <laughs> would like now be able to crossover. To like other Nickelodeon shows, and oh, that would God. be pretty funny too. I think. that would be the chaos would uh, be so nuts. It would be nuts because you know they're gonna have SpongeBob yeah. crossover with some some Cartoon Network franchise first. Like they're gonna lead with SpongeBob. Yeah, for they sure. they have to, they have to. Well, uh, that was. Uh, uh, have you watched anything new this this month or last month? Let's see, let's see. I'm trying to think back to things I have been watching. No, weirdly, I think I've been behind on shows to watch. I've I've been keeping up with some anime, like I've been trying to keep up with Jujutsu Kaisen and some of the other stuff that's been popular this season, but I've been behind on a lot of things because work has been busy, so I've mostly just been playing video games in my free time. Have you heard about Pluto? Is that a show? I don't believe I know of it, no. It's, It's an anime in... It's about Astro Boy. Oh, interesting. Like, a, a serious take on Astro Boy. Like, oh. it's like, instead of, like, the cartoony vibes, it's just, like, a straight-up anime mm-hmm. with, like, very realistic, like, the, the creator, the, the the writer, sorry, the, man, the manga, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, is, like, um... It, like does like really realistic looking art and all that stuff and it's like really writes like really good stories mm-hmm. and essentially like it's a murder mystery kind of oh uh i haven't watched it i just heard about it and i was like uh i need to watch that and i'm i'm, I'm it's on my list to watch but i'm like i think i'm gonna watch it over the weekend because I didn't know Astro Boy had any other news stories. Yeah, I had no idea either. That's fascinating. It is really fascinating. I was like, what? That's insane. This story is about... Like, it's so weird because nowadays you expect things to have, like, the actual name of the thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is just, like, called Pluto. And it's, like, there's nothing that tells you it's this Astro Boy story. (laughs) It's just That's I so just funny. found out because someone said in uh, in a podcast, "Oh, Pluto is an Astro Boy story," and I'm like, "What?" 
because I've, I've I had heard of Pluto, uh, and I've seen it like on the lit and like good, you know, like uh, on the list of animes and stuff like that as I scroll down to watch thing new things, uh-huh. and I it didn't call my attention because I am more into like cartoony goofy art styles mm-hmm. and not into like realistic art styles. But if it's a character that I know and they made it more realistic from like cartoon to realism, I kind of like to watch that. Uh, like one of the reasons I was actually excited for a Scooby-Doo, a like older, older, like targeted Scooby-Doo was because, hey, I kind of want to watch that, like, to see, like, how it would work. Because, like, we, we had Mystery Incorporated, and that was pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still very cartoony. Uh, but, yeah, Velma was a disappointment. Yeah. Almost. Scooby-Doo reboot was, without uh, Scooby-Doo? Come on. Yeah, and so much bad about that. That show should burn. Yep, yep. I think... Yeah, eight. I am not a very critical person, Nathan, but <laughs> I I still have hope for the second season. Uh, but at the same time, I wish they would just cancel it because it was um uh, terrible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was terrible, and the only reason it was terrible was because it is associated with Scooby Doo. If it was its own thing, I don't think. I would care that much. I would not even watch the show. I would just, yeah. Like, I think I, um, but yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, that's uh, difficulty nowadays. It is fun. Everything has to be associated with the brand. Yeah, it, it sometimes it's funny, but the re the the reason why it sucks is because it's 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 Scooby Doo, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's the Scooby Doo gang just being horrible people so it's and like, like I, I think i've heard yeah. people even talking about like they wanted literally wanted it to be something different or like very early on when they had the idea for the series they wanted it to be its own thing but like the only way to get any attention at all is if they attach it to the scooby-doo property where it's like that's a difficulty nowadays when it comes to the abundance of content we have nowadays the abundance of like big brands and intellectual properties where it's like it's hard for a new thing to get its foot in the door Unless it's associated with something that came prior, and like that's always been like an old, an old strategy when it came to like media and property, like spun like um like Popeye back in the day was introduced as a Betty as part of a Betty Boop cartoon. So like it's always been a strategy. It's just a problem is like that strategy has like been more abundant nowadays, just because there's so much content to like look through you nowadays. Know, I think that's the coolest part about old cartoons and old shows is that they had a certain characters that they knew could work for a spin-off or they had like segments in the show that they knew could work for a spin-off and that's that how they would put the show into the air was through putting it in the minds of people like being like oh you're watching this show look we have this little clip of this other show like the same way that um the, the, I, I really love how you had that for the Odd Parents episode where they literally, Timmy Turner, put in like a VHS tape yep. of Crash yep. Nebula and we just saw a straight up just pilot for Crash Nebula, the yep. show. Backdoor pilot. And I, 
yeah, I wanted that. That it, that looked amazing, and it was really fun. Shame we never got um, it, but yeah, definitely a strategy that's been done over I'm decades. sad it didn't... Yeah, I'm sad it didn't get greenlit, but that's... I think that's so much smarter than trying to put the same labels on things now. Like, mm -hmm. making stories and then just putting... Uh, nostalgic label on it i think mm -hmm. we need more like bar backdoor pilots where it's like this is the show and then we're introducing an episode where it's like a different show completely mm -hmm. but we're justifying it somehow and, uh, and like you still see that every now that and works. then but it's just not as often at least not, at least not like what i personally seen like off the top of my head the only example i can think of is in recent years would be the clone wars tv series where towards the end of it they did a backdoor pilot for their spin-off series um the bad batch which what did like go on to have its own series for a couple seasons at least but like that like there was explicitly yes. an episode where they just straight up introduce these characters and have a whole backdoor pilot about them in the middle of the cartoon exactly i think that's the thing. I, I think that old cartoons back in the day, they had a good idea on how to do that, I think. And companies and all these shows, they had very good idea on how to do it. Nowadays, it, it just doesn't work, I think, because they don't... I mean, they're not utilizing that. that. They're, they're doing something else, which is nostalgia bait, pretty much, mm -hmm. with everything. Which, I don't have a problem with some of the th stuff that are returning. We are getting new seasons of Phineas and Ferb. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. That's a win. Mm -hmm. That's a mm -hmm. win. That's a W right there. Phineas and Ferb. Word. Like, Phineas and Ferb. Like, I was worried that Phineas and Ferb wouldn't work. But when I saw the Candace movie, mm. I was like, yes. Send me back to Phineas and Ferb, baby. I want to I wanna watch the show again. Like... Mm -hmm. It, it just has such a good formula. Like so long as you have the same people, such or at least, or at least, if you're not, or if you're gonna have pe different people, at least, at least have the people care about the project. Where I think the problem is there's a bunch of, of there's such an abundance of content nowadays and labels and putting on like nostalgia bait. And the problem is it's often bad because the people they put in charge of creating those new projects just either aren't good or don't really care about the property they're trying to bring back or something like that. But like in the case of Phineas and Fur coming back, there's a lot more hope for it because it sounds like they're keeping much of the same cast, much of the same creative crew, and like we know they're good. We know they care about what they're making, so we know it's going to be good. But the problem is like, yeah, there have been so many horrible cases of stuff coming back nowadays that just isn't good because the people who are making it either don't care or just like completely misunderstand the thing they're bringing back. Yes. I think the only person that has been able to make new shows without any problem and has done such a great job has been uh, the Powerpuff, right? The Powerpuff Girls creator. I think he has mm. done really well. Like Craig McCracken. Shows, like w yeah, <clears throat> like Wonder Over Yonder. He was able to do that, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. he moved on and was able to do a couple more shows, and then he made. Uh, one of my favorites, Kid Cosmic, uh, in Netflix, Kid Cosmic, yeah. which is incredible. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. see, like people want new things. I think people want new things. We want new things. It's just we're baited by nostalgia, but I think Hollywood is afraid now, right now, of making new things. Uh, and the reason why they're afraid of it is because the new movies sucked. Mm -hmm. But the reason they suck is because they are hiring people that are not good writers. 
and that not good writers and people just don't really care about what they're hired to do because it's like, oh, you're hiring Zack Schneider to do a superhero movie, but he's gone on record saying that he doesn't really like superheroes as we know them. So of course he's going to put it in a very different direction. That's going to be very polarizing. So it's like you got to not only get yeah. good people, but you got to get people who are passionate about the thing that you're hiring them for. Exactly, and then you have to, and the executives need to also be people that care about the IP. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, if you got people... Right now, that guy that, like, runs uh, Disney is so... Like, he was, like, dunking on the cartoon, on the, car- like, animated stuff. I'm like, mm. dude, freaking Walt Disney's rolling on his grave. <laughs> like, he did not make... Like, animated stuff was not just for kids and this guy was like well there aren't animated stuff for kids we want to focus more on the adult audience so we're gonna do a bunch of live action stuff Mm. like come on it's like that dark period in Cartoon Network's history where they got rid of all the not really got rid of all the cartoons but like were very focused on like being doing live action stuff they like braided themselves as CN real quote unquote and like kept bringing in all these live action sitcoms and game shows it's like no one asked for this from Cartoon Network. We want cartoons from Cartoon Network. Yes. Anyways, um, that's all for this year, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that we have a Discord, and we have, um, like, nobody over there. You can join <laughs> if you want to. Um... We also have Facebook, Instagram. You can find all the links in the description down below. And if you want to support the show, uh, you can go ahead and do that over at Coffee if you want to. Um, and um, why don't you show us out, Nathan? Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. Bye! See you in the next year. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>